my face, which I want to smack in that interview, I, I have nothing against Sherm in that interview. My face is at that point, holy shit. This is the biggest thing I've ever seen in a post-game interview. Guys, do not do this. I know exactly where this is coming from between he and Crabtree. What is my next question going to be? Because everybody is watching this, and this is going to go viral. This is going to be insane. Welcome to the latest episode of Just Getting Started. It's this special uh, series of podcasts and versions of my origin story podcast called just getting started with the voices of the nfl already had al michaels joe buck who my next guest is quite familiar with because she's been working with him for damn near a full decade uh, on the sidelines of some of the best games that we get to see all week thus america's game of the week among other items the hyphenate aaron andrews good to see you aaron andrews how are you good how are you it's it's just every time i see you it's always like god we don't see each other enough we don't. I see your producer. He lives across the street from me. I don't know if you knew that. Tall producer. Oh, his his he's his nickname is the Giant because he's so yes. tall. And Andy Gregg of NFL Network. Yeah, well, he produces I NFL. Siciliano is next door. That's an episode of Twins. That's NFL <laughs> Twins, as a matter of fact, right there. Um, so again, like th- this pod is, you know, a little bit different. And I know you've got your pod, and we'll talk about your Calm Down podcast with Carissa Thompson and your. You're where by EA because that's the hyphenate that I'm talking about. But I, I'm I, I want to get into how you got started in your career because I'm sure you must get a ton of people saying how can they get on a path to where you are and where you have been. How did you, Aaron Andrews, just get started on your career? I just think it was you know the relationship I had with my dad. My dad is a newly retired investigative reporter from the NBC affiliate in Tampa, Florida. And uh, growing up in San Antonio, before my dad went up the ladder to Tampa, we were in Maine and we were in San Antonio. And my mom was a school teacher Monday through Friday, and my dad worked the weekend news. And he had me during those five days. And that's where I learned everything about grocery shopping with your dad, making him uncomfortable in the feminine aisle, uh, the female aisle. And then, uh, you know, the stories about his favorite teams, the Green Bay Packers, the Red Sox and how they broke his heart every year, the Boston Celtics and Magic and Larry being best friends. My dad is such an incredible storyteller that I fell in love with the way he told those stories and with the guys and the players and the coaching staff. And um, I just, there was no doubt that I was going to do this growing up. And I, I had said that to my dad at a very young age. I said, dad, I, I want to do that when I grow up. And he said, Aaron, everybody wants that job when they grow up. Um, and not that he was pushing me away from it, but he just was kind of wanting me to be realistic. But once I got into high school, I mean, that's really what I was telling people I was going to go do. And when I had to choose, well, I'll be honest, I didn't have to choose a certain college. I don't know if I would have gotten into many. I wasn't going to leave the state of Florida. I I would have gotten into Florida State. I know it. But I really wanted to go into Florida, to Florida, because I felt like they had a great football team and I wanted to be around it. My dad just shook his head and thought, Oh God, come on. I need you to want to do more than just go to football games on Saturdays. But I said, no, dad, if the football team is good, they're going to be covered by you, by ESPN. They're going to be covered by CBS on the, you know, SEC three o'clock, three thirty kick. So I was right. Spurrier um, was amazing to me at football practice and had some always fun comments for me. And I, I love the head ball coach because of that. And 
yeah, as soon as I left college, I didn't, I had some job opportunities, but it was a lot of one man band will make you an executive producer in, in a small, te- uh, you know, kind of town in Texas, and then right. maybe put you on air. And my dad just kept saying, no, if you want to be on air, you've got to apply for an on air position. Yeah. Literally the night before I got my first job, I was in a huge fight with my parents. I was living with them. And my mom's like, you got to do something. You got to go work, apply at Outback Steakhouse. Would you, you can't sit around all day and I got my first job thank God <laughs> the next day so, okay so let's take this one at a time here so okay. growing up around so you were growing up essentially around a TV station right yes. watching mm-hmm. watching local news get put together and yeah. hanging in a control room right like that's the sort of upbringing you had being around your dad and so you were watching him. What did he do? Was he, I know you, you refer to him in your, in your Twitter account as Clark Griswold yeah. and stuff like that. I see all that stuff. But so your dad was literally the, the guy who was on your side on by your making side. sure, right? Like who was making sure that the people who were getting bilked, the people were getting called out local news. That's what your dad did. Like yeah. knocking on doors and stuff like that. Yes. And I mean, this guy up until, I mean, he's in his late seventies now, we were like, dad, you're not in your forties. And he is the guy that's charging the people out of the car. I mean, my dad is loved in Tampa, but he's also really hated in Tampa as well. He, and it wasn't just your hotel's dirty. Your restaurant kitchen is disgusting. You'll get the flu. No, it was like your County officials are screwing around on your time and on your taxpayer. Ooh, I sound like my dad's promo and uh, we're going to learn more. So yeah, my dad was major. I think he's got like over 10 Emmys, which I'll never get, especially when I'm going (laughs) against Michelle Tafoya every damn year. Jesus. Um, But yeah, no, uh, he's amazing. So yeah, that was my upbringing. Well, if you want to cry rivers about losing Emmys, you know, uh, once 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 Costas actually seated uh, many of his stages, um, then there's Ernie, who, you know, very well from Turner. So, um, you know, but it's all good. It's great to be nominated. I have learned how to say such a thing um, and believe it. So so then you go to Florida and how do you get a gig covering the Gator football team? Did they have like a TV station there? Is that what they had? Was it a newspaper? What was that? Yeah, like? student-run TV station at good old Weimer Hall. And I auditioned to do that. And, you know, when you start out, you're going to the other sports. You're not going to cover the Florida football team. You're not going to cover mm-hmm. the Florida baseball team. And at that time, our Florida soccer team was kick-ass. I mean, we had yeah. Abby Wambach on our team. So um, that was really exciting. But yeah, I I think somebody called in sick one night and I got to hold the mic at, at Gator practice and it was a hundred degrees and HBC, the head ball coach looks over me and he goes, HBC. who are you? And I was like, I'm Aaron Andrews and I'm, you know, here to get your, you know, comments. And he was like, Aaron? And then he went into a whole thing. And from there we just had this, oh my God, this is me out of Dazzler practice with HBC. I can't even Look handle at that. it. HBC, head, head ball coach. That's yeah, what that stands for. He doesn't like for, old ball co- coach. He doesn't like that at all. Okay. So yeah. HBC and you were simpatico right from jump. And who was the quarterback there at the time? Who is it? Oh, what year we was had, well, Danny Warfel was my freshman year. Okay. And then Noah Brindice. I mean, knock it off. And then Sexy Rexy, Rex Grossman, Sexy. and Jesse Palmer, who I worked with for many years. Oh my God. What a what a string of quarterbacks. Oh, yeah. What a string for, oh, yeah. for the HBC to bring through. <laughs> and, 
Oh my God. And now you, you know, at some point you, you all had different roles in the ABC Disney universe at some point in time, all, all of you guys pretty much. All right. So then, so then you graduate and, and it's because for me, I remember when I, I got out of Michigan, I worked at a student, my hometown newspaper and I just wasn't cut out for it. And I, I, I had to, well, um, in the same gene or DNA that your dad had to like knock on doors and find out what the hell was going on with this story that was a problem in the community. Um, I didn't have that set of cojones to be honest with you. Uh, I'm being very honest. Like I remember one moment, Aaron, that I I was on duty and this was back in the day in the early nineties when there were no cell phones. And so the main reporter and main, uh, columnist and reporter, she was out on assignment and a major story broke where one of George uh, Bush Sr.'s thousand points of light, who was a, pr- a, a principal in the Red Hook section of Brooklyn, and he was a, a, a knight in shining armor who would knock on doors and tell truants, you're coming to school. He got caught in some horrible crossfire and was murdered. And it was my job. I know. So the editor was looking for the main reporter. She was out. You, Eisen, go to their house and get a comment from the family. And I thought to myself, what? Like, Like people I don't know and I've never met at their worst moment of their lives. And they're, I'm like some, some, I'll just say some asshole showing up on their front door asking them questions. Like, for comment? How do you feel? What? How do you think I feel? Like I was so afraid to do it. Oh, I procrastinated, Aaron. I, 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 um, I sharpened every pencil that was there. I looked for the right, you know, reporter's notebook. <laughs> I just was like, I couldn't, I was in a sweat. And then, you know, to her credit, the main reporter returned just in time before I left. She was told what the story was and she heel turned and ran right out. And I didn't hold any, I didn't look at her in any less regard mm-hmm. at all. I just wasn't up to it. Yeah. And I, I just realized I'm not cut out for the hard news. I need, I need the toy department, right. you know, <laughs> I did. <laughs> you know, that, and that's what, and, and that's what my, my professor at the Medill school of journalism called it when I was there. Cause that's where I went back to school. I went back to Northwestern. I'm like, I want to be a sportscaster. I gotta, I gotta figure out how to do it. And, and so that's why I, I, I wasn't cut out for it. And I, I got into that. And when I was out of school there, I, I had to go anywhere that would, that, that for the job and a camera and a, and a, and a newsroom that would, gi- that would give it to me. So I totally understand your dad saying, you cannot take a job that you don't need. You need to take a job that you need. You do not need to go and hope for the best that some news director is going to see something and you know. You want to be on the air, you take an on-air job. That was a great piece of advice from your dad, which you obviously know. Yeah, and you know, it's twofold too, because it it could have opened the door to something. And I know people like that. You know, my good friend and colleague, Carissa Thompson, started at HR at Fox and was hoping to just get on the air. But my dad's thought was, look, I work at a TV station. We hire on-air talent to be on-air. We don't hire producers hoping they'll get on-air. So um, I I was grateful for that insight. I'm glad I listened. He's kind of been my Roxanne moment behind the scenes for me whenever I'm in crisis or, uh, you know, I am last minute post game interview. I'm like, Dad, what do you think of this? 
It's that time of year, people. Spring has sprung, and that means spring cleaning, or at least the partner in your life is demanding that you do it. Whether that means stocking up on cleaning supplies or swapping out your winter clothes for new spring clothes, make sure you're using Ibotta and get real cash back with every purchase. Ibotta is a free app that gives you the most cash back every time you shop on hundreds of items from groceries to beauty supplies to toys. The average Ibotta user earns $256 per year. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip, that flight you've been eyeing, or the fancy dinner you've been craving. Join the over 50 million users and earn cash back every time you shop from over 2,700 brands and retailers. And right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 for just trying Ibotta by using the code Eisen when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app to start earning cash back and use my code E-I-S-E-N. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use my code Eisen. Let's talk O'Reilly Auto Parts, people, or as you might know from their jingle, O-O-O-O'Reilly Auto Parts. They're in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offers friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs because you know when you need your car fixed, you need somebody who knows what they're talking about and is helpful, has a smile on their face, and gets you back on the road. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you just... Find the right battery for your vehicle. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fix, or a quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you will find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts knowledgeable, helpful, and the best of all, friendly. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. Now, where was that station that hired you? So it actually was a, it's, it's a route that I highly recommend. A lot of people do now. It wasn't even a TV station. I was the ringside reporter for your Tampa Bay Lightning. They were god awful. They had just hired a new head coach, John Tortorella, who was going to turn the country club around. Fourth line contained a guy named Marty St. Louis, who ended up being a superstar once Torts got done. And uh, it was a huge learning experience for me. All I knew about was the Florida Gators. That's all I cared about. That's all I had studied for four years. That was another piece of advice my dad gave me. He said, listen, I get it. That's the first thing you read when you go to the sports page, but there's a lot of other things going on in the sports world in Florida football. So you better start educating yourself. And lo and behold, I got thrown into a league I knew zero about. I mean, I, the, I've told this story before. I read cliff notes for dummies on hockey. Like I just did hockey for dummies the night before my first interview with them. And Tortorella is not known for suffering any fools at all. No. Did you have any moments with coach uh, Tortorella in the beginning of your career? I did. He did not want me hired by any means. And I get it. I was, you know, 2021 20, out of college. This, like I said, was a team that had zero success. They weren't expected yeah. to have a good year. They were actually out of it by December, the year I worked with them. One of the guys that was big with the organization that had pushed for me to get the job just said, now that you got it, 
I recommend you go to his office right now, knock on the door, introduce yourself and be very honest about your knowledge about the game. And I did. And I walked right up and I said, hi, torts. If I can call you torts, I'm Aaron Andrews. I don't know a thing about hockey, but I am willing to learn. And from that moment on, I sat and watched film in his office and I learned how to cuss. I learned what happens on the road stays on the road. I learned to drink pretty well. Uh, not from torts, but just traveling with the team. Because at 21, I was traveling with this professional hockey team. And I was on their flights. I was on the bus. I sat right next to him on the bus. He made sure of it. It was awesome. And I learned, um, he said, if you, if you, it's like you hear this all the time at airports. If you see something, say something. He said to me, say something, ask me if you see it. And I noticed one of our big players wasn't in the pregame skate that morning and nobody asked Torts. So I raised my hand. This was probably four or five months into the season. And I just said, Torts, so-and-so is missing. And he looked at me and he goes, great fucking question. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah. So he, he taught me to kind of have a backbone and um, it was awesome. So now that you're much more well-versed in the sport, <laughs> <laughs> Since hockey is literally part of your life, yeah. have you seen have you seen Tortorella many times since then? And just like talking about these moments now, where you are in your career, and and the the, the twenty one year old who sat next to him on the bus and knocked on the door, you had conversations about that big time. I mean, I the half it wasn't even the lightning weren't even through with their season i had already gotten a job offer from turner sports and we were on a five game road trip in canada and my dad was on the phone with me with his agent as well with turner who had offered me the gig and my dad just said this is national tv this doesn't happen you you're five months in you got to take this so i remember getting on the plane the lightning were terrible they were out of it and i just walked up to the front of the plane and I was bawling. And I just said, I got a job offer to go to Turner Sports to be on national television. And my dad wants me to take it. And I don't want to go. And he goes, you better can take it. And he goes, and if you hate it, you can come back to the Sunshine Network and be with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Cut two, I took it. We can talk about that whole experience. I was god awful. Turner, I was so bad. Um, I was with Skip and Joe in the studio. I was just brutal. But that then led me to not my two-year contract or maybe three-year deal. I think it was two. I wasn't renewed and I shouldn't have been. I was horrible. And I don't think I was put in a good position. And even Charles Barkley will tell you that, which I love him for. I then uh, auditioned, well, kind of threw myself at ESPN's NHL coverage because the Lightning were going to be pretty damn good in 04. And it was the postseason that I wasn't renewed. And I had kind of an audition with them and it went really well. And lo and behold, the team I was following all throughout the playoffs was the Tampa Bay Lightning. And that little girl who was crying in the uh, on the plane was getting like the coach, head coach to tell her all the gossip. So he was like feeding me the intel for my sideline reports. And it was freaking awesome. Well, I mean, timing's everything. And that that does actually happen a lot in in the in this career, Aaron, mm -hmm. is that you know, if you're you have some certain insight on a team and that team becomes red hot, yeah, that's to your benefit. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, and that's that's where you can use, you know, your knowledge and your institutional knowledge and and all of that. So what was it? Was I, I was just leaving ESPN when you? Got I know. There. I don't even think I really got to see you there, which was such a bummer. So '04 was kind of my audition, and then I got put right. on the '05 coverage of football. Yeah, 
Okay. Yeah. And co- college football. College I was football. no, I was gone. Yeah, NFL Network started November of '03. My last day there was mm-hmm. was May of May of '03, and we were like two ships. So, what yeah. was your first college football game? Tell me, it was Florida? Was it was it the was it the uh, the HBC no. the the you know? No? I was put on what was that game? Oh, it was huge. And again, I probably wasn't ready for it, but I appreciate them throwing me into the deep end. It mm-hmm. was uh, uh, Virginia Tech meeting USC. And it was that game that ESPN did where it was behind the scenes everywhere. Like Mm -hmm. you could see what the producer was saying to me. Um, I was with uh, Ron Franklin and we were in, I think we were in Baltimore. My God. So your first broadcast was, that was like a special one where, where there, where, where, oh my, I could not imagine it was because you know, a producer, a producer, for somebody who's not done it before needs to kind of coach somebody up and you've got to feel comfortable. So, Oh my God, your first broadcast was everybody listening to how you were receiving information and disseminating it. Is that what you're saying? My first college football broadcast. Right. Yes. And I will tell you this, I remember, and the footage of it is excellent. My, they did a jib shot of me as my open, my legs were so far. I was like in a like stance, like a tripod stance so far apart to like, give me like grounding. I probably was white knuckling the mic, but my legs were like, <laughs> cause I was just like, Oh my God. Holy crap. All right. Well then obviously things progress. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll throw a question at you that uh, I get all the time. And okay. you could answer it however you see fit, but I get it all the time, literally yeah. to this day, 18 years removed. Why, why did uh, you leave ESPN? Why did that parting happen? It was time. And I probably called you. I don't even remember if I did. I called a lot of people about it. It was just time. I felt like I had done everything that I was going to be allowed to do there. I wanted to really be a part of the NFL. I had done, you know, this sounds so bratty, but I had done three or four, you know, championship games. I had done college game day and I just knew if I was going to have a shot at the NFL, it was going to be at Fox. So I, I, uh, I cried my eyes out. My God. I remember talking to Chip Kelly balling my brains out. Cause I covered him a lot at Oregon. He was wonderful. Mm-hmm. I talked to coach K. Um, I called him for advice. I talked to Dan Patrick quite a bit. And, um, yeah, I just was like, what do I do? And it was hard, but yeah, it's, it's gone pretty well. Well, yeah, <laughs> I should say so. I should say so. And, um, which was your first NFL game? Cause it, it took, you did college for the first couple of years, right? My first NFL game, I, God, it was a playoff game, actually. Come and, on. I this did- is ridiculous. I mean, you can, how many deep ends of the pool have you been thrown into, Aaron? My God. I will I mean, tell you, I think, it, I know it was this because I had covered Russell in college, Russell Wilson, who was a baby yeah. in the NFL. It was when Russell Wilson played RG3 in the playoff game and RG3 ripped his leg up. I think that, but I had, I had Seattle sideline. I think yeah. that's right. Is that right? Does that sound well, right? I, I, it makes a, it makes perfect sense. I mean, Russell's first year in the NFL was 2012. So this would be 2013. I'm almost sure of this. I'm literally 20, 2013 calendar year. And it was Seattle at FedEx field and RG three tore his, his leg up. Yeah. And he was, you know, it was him and Andrew Luck one, two. And I knew both of those guys from covering oh. them in college. So it was sure. crazy. Cause I remember 
Aikman asking me, and it was just so, you know, amazing to be with Troy and, and Pam and Joe and Aikman being like, what are these guys like? And I was like, well, let me tell you, I know them well. <laughs> that helps. Yeah. It hey, it's, the same, it's the same thing, you know, when the Tampa Bay Lightning become big and you're part of a, a NHL coverage, like I, I got this. Yeah. I'm you know, literally I, trying I mean, to find you, this on here because I know I took pictures of it. You, you still have it on your phone I from do. back in 2013. That's yeah. okay. You know, I mean, because it, it is, it is, I, I remember that. I remember that. And Russell damn near almost made the NFC championship game. And he, he did the uh, NFL game day morning, Sunday morning uh, championship game weekend. There it is. Look how Look young you he are. is. Both of you. I mean, I am just fresh and rocking this it's, pink thing. I know, and I say that with the utmost of respect. <laughs> I mean, it looks like it. I'm, 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 I'm not the fine wine that obviously, um, stop it. You know, you are, but so no, and and all in all seriousness, I mean, I remember Russell showed up to game day morning to do the show, and he'd never done television before, and um, I like to pride myself on being the first in. Uh, on a Sunday morning, cool. certainly for a big championship game yeah. broadcast. And, you know, my, my call time is like 4 a.m., 4, 4.15. It's gotten a little later in uh, in the years that I've done that Sunday morning show. And who was the guy in the green room who is already suited and booted and ready to go when I walked in the door, you know, in my civilian clothes, but Russell Wilson. And, and uh, here's a great story. I mean, I'm like, damn, man, way to show up the host just right away, you know. And after, you know, um, he did my first ever television version of my podcast, which was born into the show I do every day. And the reason why I tell you this is because he appeared on it. I asked him to appear on it because he was that rookie that had suddenly won the job from Pete Carroll in his first time at it. And um, I had him on because... When have you ever heard that? A rookie who's drafted as late as he was drafted, given an opportunity. Now he's the starter of the Seattle Seahawks, and I had him on. He sent me a handwritten oh. thank you note and an autographed cool. And And I'm like, who the hell is this guy? And when I saw him there sitting there, I'm like, well, perfect opportunity for me to thank you for this. I mean – He's a he's one of one. He is, and and Russ, you know our you know. history goes back to my first Thursday. Well, not my first, his thurs, first Thursday night game on call. You know, ESPN College Football, NC State. I had it. Right. I think it's the first drive he got put in an ambulance. He got knocked out. So you know, I'm we have a researcher that's chasing the ambulance. It was just like a whole thing. And then of course he went to Wisconsin. I follow him in Wisconsin. I think my dad and I were at when they used to do this, uh, the White House correspondence dinner together. I always took my dad as my date. And we were sitting in a bar in DC watching the draft. And my dad's like, God, I just want Russell Wilson to get chosen because you covered him so much at ESPN. And lo and behold, he did. And We've had some, oh, I did his podcast and we talked about it. It was my first NFL game. I covered him. We covered, you know, it's just crazy how we're kind of just intertwined. It's really neat. 
Let's talk game time. Boy, do we love using game time tickets at the Rich Eisen Show. And every single time I've been watching the basketball playoffs on TV, I've been wondering what it would be like to be at these games. And when you choose your tickets on game time, you can see the view from your seat where the court is, where you are in relation to it. And then the all-in prices, that's my favorite feature. The all-in prices makes sure that you see the lowest price guarantee and also know exactly how much everything costs all in before you purchase so all the guesswork is removed when you buy playoff tickets with game time download the game time app create an account and use my code rich for $20 off your first purchase terms apply visit gametime.co for restrictions again create an account redeem my code r-i-c-h for $20 off your first purchase download game time today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed Let's talk sleep number, people, because quality sleep is so essential. That's why the sleep number smart bed is dissolved for your ever-evolving sleep needs. And the same thing for your partner. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Quiets your snores or your partner's? Sleep Number does that. My Sleep Number setting is 60. My wife's is 70. Ten numbers apart, but it truly is the world of difference. The Sleep Number sleep that you get is unbelievable. You will love it. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now you could save 50%. That's 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And then obviously, um, potentially, your most famous moment on the job, even to this day, was the post-game yeah. press conference with Richard Sherman. And I want you to walk me through that. I don't think I've ever asked you about this. Really? Dan was calling me the next day trying to get me on his damn show. I'm like, Dan, I just Well, you know what? That's Dan. Dan, Dan, you know, there is an I in Rich and Eisen, but I'll get, you know, I, I give people you, space. Bro. I'm like, Dan, I'm, that's why Dan is who he's. Uh, Dan, Dan, Dan and I go way back to 1996, and I could fill your head with all sorts of stories about Dan Patrick, but he is. They broke the mold with him too. They did. Um, so uh, what? What? What the hell? What? I mean, how did you? Because ha- that is something you can't. No matter how many reps you've had, no matter how many years you've had, no matter how many places you've been to, no matter how many folks that you have, like your dad in your life, there is yeah. nothing like that sort of curveball thrown your way in a broadcast. So walk me through that one. Yeah, I. I covered quite a few Seattle games that year and um, I was actually on, I wasn't full-time with Joe and Troy yet. I was working actually with John Lynch, Kevin Burkhart and uh, Pete Machuska. So we had had the Seahawks a ton and um, I ended up, you know, really the Seahawks are phenomenal. And especially with that time and that defense, they were just really great. We'd go in before the coaches meeting and actually like go to the lunchroom that they were in and see the guys and I'd be like, Oh, me, you know, Legion of Boom, like, what's up? Um, so 
I, I love Sherman. I had had a great, you know, I, I feel like relationship with him. And the day before the game, we had had our crew meeting with the Seahawks. And again, another guy, Troy hadn't met or that crew hadn't met was Richard. And he walked in and he was awesome. He, if you, I mean, I know you've probably talked to him quite a bit. He just lights up a room, well-spoken. He just has a great perspective on everything. And, um, and very opinionated, which I appreciate. And it's kind of nice to have somebody that doesn't candy coat everything or give you the same BS when you're in a in a meeting. And I love those guys that treat us and, and kind of let us in like that. Um, and he was very, very vocal about Crabtree. Um, we knew that was going to be the matchup. And, you know, obviously something that broadcasters do when you sit down with these guys is talk to them about the matchup. What do you think about it? He was very honest how he felt about Michael Crabtree so honest. And, um, we were like, okay, I mean, brutally honest. So we already had insight. There was bad blood there already knew about it. Not something we were going to go on air and say, Hey, there's bad blood because it's just not like that. You don't want to sit there and, you know, rat a guy out for telling you things, but we appreciated the insight. That was the final, you know, matchup. That was the play. I knew I wanted to grab him. He had just done a Deportes interview. So I was basically holding on to him because I knew they were going to come to me live and I didn't want him to go anywhere. And then the question sucked that I asked, take me through that play. I just, just said, what, why, when, where, how, what, you know, I don't even know at this point, but um, what was your mindset? That's crap too, whatever. I... My face, which I want to smack in that interview, I, I have nothing against Sherman in that interview. My face is at that point, holy shit. This is the biggest thing I've ever seen in a post-game interview. Guys, do not do this. I know exactly where this is coming from between he and Crabtree. What is my next question going to be? Because everybody is watching this and this is going to go viral. This is going to be insane. So at that point, I knew he was screaming, don't you ever talk to me like that again. And I knew he wasn't talking about me, but I didn't know if people at home knew that what the hell was going on. Right. So that's why, and I wish my freaking face hadn't looked like that. I wasn't like, who is talking about you? I knew, but don't do it with that face, idiot. But I was just trying to calculate my head. Oh my God, how do I ask this? And is this the right place to go with all of it? And then he said, Crabtree. And I... At that moment, everybody in the truck panicked. They thought maybe he had dropped an F-bomb. They wanted to get out before he did drop an F-bomb. I was ready to go for another question. I'm pissed. I didn't just go for it. Why wouldn't I go for it? It was the most important interview at that time. I threw it up to Joe like an a-hole. I was like, oh, Joe, back to you. Like, it wasn't my best moment, but I thought it was awesome what happened with him. So you can't watch this back without being hypercritical and... I guess that that would that would cover yeah. it. So, <laughs> so you can't watch that back without saying I would have handled it a million different ways if you had got if you get it right now if if that had happened to you coming up on this this playing season for you. Yeah, I, I'm not mad at my question. I'm just mad at my face and, and through all of it, we were watching it kind of all unfold. As soon as that game ended, I, we got up on a plane and, and we were all together. It was myself, Michael Strahan, the president of Fox Sports, Kurt Menefee. We're all flying back to L.A. together. And mm -hmm. no one really knew that this happened. Like everybody jumped on the plane and I just started watching it on Twitter unfold. And it was turning mm -hmm. into racist stuff. And I just looked at 
everybody mm. in the plane. I said, I need help. Like I love him. And that's, I think it's my reaction that caused this. And this is not what it's about. This is freaking awesome that he did this. And um, no, I don't think I did him any favors. And I'm bummed about that. And I loved that moment. I was so pumped that an athlete reacted like that. Right. Um, I just wish I had done a better job. Well, he had just uh, sort of, you know, had gone after Brady earlier in the season too, after beating bro. New England. You're like, you mad bro. Like, and and the, the brashness of the Legion of Boom was just beginning. It's awesome to take hold nationally. Yep. And that was a way for, for Richard Sherman to kind of introduce himself mm -hmm. to America yeah. in a way. And, and you were right next to him as well. And it really was wild. And you're right. The reaction was out of control. It was dumb. And I also know mm -hmm. he can be really hyper critical and hypersensitive, mm -hmm. you know, and, and to be in the middle of all of that, man, oh man, I'd never asked you about it. That's why I wanted to. I got this because I, you know, had reached out to him and talked, well, actually we did an interview because Fox had the Super Bowl that year. So um, I did right. a sit down with him and we hugged and everything was great. There was never a problem with it. But at that moment, here's my wheels turning. I'm going to contact Mars Candy and tell them you and I need a Snickers commercial and we're going to reenact it and I'm going to give you a Snickers and it's going to be fine. And I did and they didn't take it. Oh, well, you were not at the height of your influence yet, Aaron. <laughs> you were just beginning. You're still just getting it. started on that front. Well, uh, in terms of all that, why, why did you start with um, your, your line of clothing? I cannot imagine what an undertaking that would be and everything that you're doing, what a headache that might be. And, also exciting, I understand, and you got fanatics, and and I'm sure you 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 know the folks yeah. there well before you even went down that road. But why? Where, where where did the origin of that come from? Yeah, just being a huge fan of sports, and you know, wanting to support my my favorite teams, and also being as they like to, as the young kids like to say, a wag, a wife or girlfriend, and uh, you know, wanting to represent and celebrate my husband's team, but then maybe go to the bar or restaurant after and not be a huge super fan. I just felt there was like a real need for women to be able to cheer on their fan and have something fashionable to wear. And uh, we were in San Francisco for um, not the last Super Bowl, but the one even before that. And we were just kind of, of course, it involves alcohol. I think it was Super Bowl 50. Um, and we were just sitting around. I started doodling on a tablecloth. And I said, could somebody listen to me about this? And I came up with where and got a lot of Heismans in our face, got a, told no a lot. But I'm pretty relentless when I think it's a good idea and I, I think it will have a shot. And finally, uh, fanatics listened and I'm appreciative of that. They threw us right in the deep end right away. That seems to be the theme of this and said, yeah, sure. You want to try it? Try the NFL, see how she goes. And we kicked ass. We had a soft launch and then our sales grew by 200% the second year. And then by year three, which is this year, we have, um, added the NHL to the NBA, to the NCAA, to NFL. And we may have a pretty fun announcement coming up about another league. So yeah, it's been really great. It is a lot. It's a ton of work. I did not go to the University of Florida for any of this Fashion, stuff. design, or business, yeah. or anything like that. I it's, hear you. It's been really interesting. I hear you. You know, since, you know, again, the only thing I can even equate it to is the show that I'm doing every day. I've, I've now owned it since, totally. um, since geez, January of 2020 and decisions, you got to make decisions. You got to have, I, I, 
I'm not, I, I, like I said, I, I didn't get into this to, 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 to run stuff, but it is a challenge. There's no question right. about it. It is. You know, um, and now your pod with Carissa, how are you guys enjoying that? It looks like every single time you're having a blast. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it, it's honestly just one of our catch up sessions. I mean, we go, we really do go in with an outline and then it just all falls off the rails. It's just like, oh my God, and listen to this. And now how about this? And she's right. newly married. And I've only been married for four years. We're trying to start a family. She's, you know, just starting up a business. I have a business. And then Lord knows where these conversations will go once we're on zero sleep and, you know, traveling to all these cities in mm -hmm. about three weeks. Um, so yeah, it's fun. I mean, we kind of make fun of ourselves. We're like, everybody else has a podcast. Why can't we? Why not? So, yeah, I'm, I, even I've got one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a format and kind of a like, you know, yeah, a, a beginning and an end. Ours is I'm like, trying. Wah. I'm trying to have a strike. I've even got a paddle. You know, I got a paddle with the logo on it. You know, yeah, I'm we got to get some merch. It's about branding. You know, all about I'm trying branding, to get the branding. People. Yeah. So the, the one question I've been asking all my guests on this pod is the best piece of advice you've received and from whom I'm imagining I know who it's from since we've based on the a lot I've mentioned him a lot on your interview uh, in this in this conversation. If it's not your dad, it's fine. But the best piece of advice you've received in your career and what is it? It's going to be two people. One's going to be John Tortorella. And it was after I got on a bus one day. I mean, you'd think this guy's job was to babysit me. It wasn't. It was actually to like get a team to a Stanley Cup, which he did several years later. I The hot thing at that time were message boards, not blogs or Twitter or Instagram. And, you know, I clicked on something about my nose and I just came on and I was a mess. And he just said, I'm going to tell you this once and I'm going to tell you it once only you got to have thick skin. You got to knock it off. Like if you're going to let this crap bother you right now, like this is, and it's something I'm obviously still trying to work on, but it, I mean, he told me it before things got really bad with, you know, social media and all the things. And my dad, we, we interviewed our dads on father's day, Krista and I did. And we were talking about the advice and Chris has said that what's the best advice your dad ever gave you fuck them. <laughs> no, it's just, it kind That's of it. is along the same line as torts. It's like, you can just yeah. let all these people in their opinion and think that they can do it better. And these aren't just people that are hanging out in their basements with their cats. These are the local media. These are maybe even national media that have things to say about you. You're just not going to make it far if you just let all of this weigh in on you or weigh on you. You can't. I mean, mentions are the meanest things in the world. And, you know, um, just in that respect too, Aaron, I got, um, I got, I'll tell, I mean, if you got a minute, I'll, I'll, I'll just extend the interview and tell you the story here. So when I first started at ESPN and I did SportsCenter, everything to me was a joke. Literally everything was a gag. I come from the world of stand-up comedy. I was so excited to be on SportsCenter, and I wanted to be entertaining. Yeah. That's what I wanted to and be. And you were. I was, that, was, that was first order. Well, I mean, that was the first order of business, and you know, being um, entertaining was more important than being informative by far. You know, like I, I, I lost track on the reason why people are tuning in is A, to find out what happened and B they're sticking around because they're entertained. And I had it twisted. I had it, it the other way around and literally everything was a joke and a gag. And, um, I got one day, 
uh, and I got to bring this up to him one day whenever I, I, I do speak to him in this format. But one day I go to my mailbox at work and you remember the old inter-office yeah. envelopes? Okay. So it was like this inter-office envelope and I recognized the handwriting to, you know, for, to Rich Eisen. And I recognized the handwriting. It was from Olberman. And I open up the inter-office envelope and in it is a letter from a fan and a cover letter from Keith. And the cover letter from Keith is important because the fan letter that Keith sent to me was an, a, a letter that he got that was written up on an old word processor. Again, this is 1996 and sent to Keith. And the message from Keith was this guy that's on SportsCenter, fix him because he's ruining it. And that guy was me. And it was like a three page letter about me and Reese Davis, believe it or not, yeah. who's the sweetest guy on planet earth. Reese and I were doing a lot of sports centers before I did them with, with, with Stuart. But anyway, I'm telling you this story because Keith's cover letter was essentially saying, don't be the guy that somebody is sending this to, but understand this guy has no sense of who you are as a person and has no personal stake in you, which you have and your colleagues have. And he even said, like, one day you'll be taking over this show. And he put in parentheses, would next Friday be good for you? You know, like it was yeah. like a like a KO line like that. And but he, he basically said, don't take this personally from this person, but hear what this person is saying to improve your on air repertoire. And I it was tough. It was very tough love to receive that from a guy who I was trying to emulate, probably ripping off, was now my new colleague. I'm 26 years old. It was really tough to hear this from him. But the message was, in essence, fuck him. But, you know, listen to what he's got to say on this front. But I never, you know, took to heart what the guy said. But I definitely removed from it the fuck him sort of aspect of it. Absolutely. And I cannot imagine what somebody, a female, sees in her mentions and what people have no problem being so Twitter tough yeah. to hit send on with their thumbs. Fuck them. Literally. I totally think that is a great, that's my long-winded story to say I, I hear you and I think that is great. Yeah, it's hard because we do care so much and there's a lot of hours and days away from our loved ones. We miss holidays. We miss everything that those people have, you know, the negative people have to, they get to spend with their holidays, but there are the moments, and I don't mean to be interviewing you now, that I would love to know what maybe doesn't validate it for you, but when the Brady's say yes to you to do a sit down in week four or week five, that's where you're just like, yes, like bring it. Or the Rogers will sit down with you or the McVeighs and the Peytons will run off with you. And before they tell you, you know, what their team needs to change at the half, they're like, how you doing? Everything good at home? You guys get like, it's just, that's all I ever wanted was the respect from somebody like you, the people I respect in the business or the players, the coaches, the GMs, the organizations, when I 
hear it from them or I get some sort of validation. That's, I mean, I do, I get really misty even now about it because it's just like, damn, it's paying off. Yeah. Hard work. No question about it. Yeah. What is it for you? Well, I mean, that's the arm, I guess that would be armor. I I don't read the mentions like that after shows, you know, or I, 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 I have done it before um, after the night of a draft, I don't do it during a draft, but on the night of a draft, I want to see what people are saying, whatever. And I once mentioned that to Joe Buck and he's like, what, what the hell are you doing that for? You know? And I'm like, it's because I don't hate everybody's team, Joe. That's why I can look at my mentions. Like you, you know, but I, I, I love kind of busting his stones about that. Yeah. Um, which it, and it's so unfair. My favorite moment and this, this kind of sums it all up as to why, you can't listen to a lot of the noise. Then that, but I'm not saying that fans and people who watch us don't have constructive criticism that's worthy of taking. It's just that you have to separate that wheat from the chaff. And my ultimate chaff on all this front was when Joe trended on Twitter because he was getting raked over the coals for calling a game that he was not actually calling. <sighs> that I think it was like a Yankee Red Sox game. Yeah. Joe Buck's trending and Joe was like, yeah, I'm, I'm not calling this game, folks. <laughs> and so, you know, I brought that up to him that sometimes I do read the mentions after a big event just to see what people are saying and what can be what can be separated from it. But I don't take the the anger and the the personal stuff. It's just, you know, you know, Susie takes that one. She'll she'll like you've got to respond. Like you have to, you have to say something. And if you don't, I'm gonna take the phone. I'm like, no, you can't do it. Like she's. I gotta, I gotta temper some of that because, you know, she'll read some of these things and be so livid about it, you know, and I totally get it. I totally understand it. But as you point out, the respect is, is your armor. The respect you have amongst your peers is your armor. Totally. And that's sort of fight, Grateful you know? for it. Yeah. My husband came on the sidelines, I think once during a football game and he's like, I'm never doing that again. I was like, he'll <laughs> post. But he's like, babe, I need airplay. I can't listen to what these people are saying to me. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of the same thing they were yelling at you when you were playing, Jared. You wanted to drop the gloves, is what you're saying? (laughs) Aaron, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. This has been fun. Um, If you, you know, if you ever want me to do the home and home with you and Chris, I'm more than happy to do that. Okay, I'm more. You just let me know, and I'll 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 return the favor. Thanks for being on here, and congrats on everything going on with you. Yeah, love you. Thank you. That'll wrap it up for this edition of Just Getting Started, our special edition of Just Getting Started shows involving voices of the NFL. Rolls on next week. We will chat with you then. 